Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural well-being, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we're equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your well-being journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. Well, welcome back to the Three Little Things podcast. We have another exciting episode today. We have another beautiful guest, Carolyn, who we'll introduce in a moment. But just to sort of recap again, our podcast is... You know, we want it to be very holistic and touch on so many different aspects of your life so that you can take away some tips and tricks into your life and start implementing them and understand your body that little bit better. So my name's Sarah and I'm joined with my co-host Lily as always. And as I said, we have the incredible guest Carolyn here today and we're going to hear a little bit about Carolyn and what she does as well. So Lily, do you want to jump into that and maybe... So I'll just recap as to why we began this in the first place. And we began it sort of late last year when everybody um, couldn't go anywhere and was still stuck in our own homes and et cetera, et cetera, because we know what happened last year, don't we? So Sarah and I came up with this because we wanted the community to feel a little bit more connected with their own bodies, their own health, and have some agency over um, how they express themselves going forward. So we began this podcast using the triad of health, that's physical, biomechanical areas of our bodies, um, biochemical and then of course mental emotional we also wanted to bring you some what we call magazine words so they just flow off your tongue and you don't feel like a real nerd when you use words like vagal tone um, parasympathetic nervous system sympathetic amygdala homunculus cortisol levels nutritional status etc etc so today we're really happy to invite Carolyn McKilvin who's also a dear friend was a behavioral optometrist in the DY area to give us a perspective on vision from quite a different point of view, pardon the pun. Carolyn. <laughs> Hi, thank you, Lily. Um, thank you for inviting me. I feel special and honored to be here and hopefully I can impart a little bit of my world so that people can understand um, a little more about what I do. So I'm an optometrist, I trained as an optometrist, I um, examine people's eyes, I evaluate their eye health, which is what you would find most optometrists would do. Um, in addition to that, um, I, have I have expanded my level of knowledge to with accreditation as a behavioural optometrist. So I'm a fellow of the Australian Australasian College of Behavioural Optometrists. Um, and lots of people don't really understand what a behavioural optometrist is. Um, a behavioural optometrist is a, a, a fully trained optometrist in the same way every other optometrist is trained, but we have a more holistic approach to the treatment of our patients and their vision. So what we're trying to ensure when we assess a patient is we're trying to assess their, their visual system and ensure that it's got the developmental maturity, the strength, the stamina to meet the demands of their daily life and to ensure that the visual system is in harmony with all of their body systems. So uh, one of my mentors always has a little saying, he says your eye bone is connected to your knee bone and um, what he really means by that is that everything is connected to everything 
And um, I know in one of the podcasts, I think it was Lily who mentioned that people, or maybe it was you, Sarah, was talking about um, the spine. And so this connection, a lot of people think a chiropractor just is there to fix your spine. Mm. And I often, when I talk to patients about seeing you guys, I say, well, it's about the nervous system and the nervous yeah. system controls everything. And if your nervous system is working better, then everything else will start to work better. And you might need some extra support in a particular area, in a particular field. And that's why it takes a village to keep people healthy yeah. and, and sound. So that's really where I come from. Um, so actually, um, Callan's approach to um, vision actually is it's very interesting. It's not just in front of your eyeball what happens, but a lot of times it's well, it's completely um, beyond the eyeball, isn't it? What happens in your brain um, yes. once you're exposed to an image? Because I can remember coming to see you one day and um, seeing is not believing because I thought <laughs> I was seeing something, but actually it wasn't seeing that thing because my brain wasn't making sense of what I was actually, what I thought I was seeing. Yes. So people come to see you, Karen, because I get, we get a lot of um, young children in our practice who are having real problems sitting in a classroom, so-called seeing. They're not really seeing properly, are they? Mm -hmm. No. Um, and so that's, that's a big misconception or misunderstanding about vision. So this is probably a good time to talk about um, the distinction between sight and seeing and what vision is. So seeing is the clarity of the object that you are looking at. And that only accounts for 6% of vision. Wow. Mm. Now, most people think that seeing is the most important thing. Yeah. So when you go to an optometrist for a checkup and they check your vision and they say, oh, you've got perfect eyesight, I'm not quite sure how they come up with that idea because perfect doesn't exist. Mm. You might get 6, 6 or 20, 20, which means you can see the smallest line of letters, which is deemed to be good quality vision for an average person. And, but that is not necessarily anywhere near perfect vision and yeah. it's only sight. So 6% is sight. Of course, your health is important, eye health, but then the rest is so much more than that. Vision is about knowing where you are in space. Vision is about being able to adjust your focusing and your muscle system and knowing where to point your eyes where to direct your body, uh, whether it's gross motor or fine motor. Um, it is about um, memory. So if you have never seen an elephant, you can't visualize what an elephant is. Mm. You have to have seen an elephant or seen a picture of an elephant to know that that has any meaning whatsoever. Yep. Elephant. Yeah. Right? So if you've seen one, you've got a great idea that's big, animal with big ears and a trunk and it's pretty obvious and you never forget it pretty much yeah so you need to have experienced something in order to be able to recall what it was and vision plays such a dominant role in that mm. um, so if you uh, so in addition to that it's that part that experience of having seen something um, it's then relating it to things that you've done is also part of vision. Um, also remembering patterns. So a lot of children who are having difficulty in the classroom, Lily, have difficulty with sequencing. So they aren't able to capture 
uh, a sequence of letters, because that's really what a spelling word is. It's mm -hmm. just a pattern. Yeah, it's a pattern of letters in a particular order. And so a lot of children have sequential memory difficulties. And that's another part of vision that needs to be assessed in those instances. In addition to that, there are so many other things. How much information you grab at any one time. Are you very, uh, do you use your vision in quite a global sense, but can you attend to detail when you need to? Um, it goes on and on and on. Vision is very complex, and that's why sight's only 6%. Mm. It can become quite abstract, this discussion, because um, <laughs> I, I have a feeling that to really understand it, you really have to have a some kind of degree in neuroscience. So is it going to be easy if we discuss a case? Would that be a way of doing it? Yes, we yeah. could do that. Yeah. Let's, have, let's have a sort of a simple, anonymous example. Okay, so hmm. I've got... Um, I've got a little patient coming. She's actually starting vision therapy on Thursday. She has, she's quite lovely, gorgeous little girl, um, is having difficulty learning, has difficulty um, retaining her work, um, difficulty with spelling, was at one stage not thriving as a baby, um, but then finally started to grow, but had a period of time where they were concerned about her development. She comes from a, um, a supported family. She's had good support in terms of um, her education and her development and healthcare, everything. Um, so when I assessed her, apart from her, her sight was perfect or as good as it could be, if we yeah. want to use the word yeah. perfect, which I just said a few moments ago, there is no such thing, <laughs> mm -hmm. but good quality sight. However, when she needed to point her eyes at something, she has great difficulty pointing her eyes at something up close. So that's called converging. So convergence is vital. Yeah. If you're going to read something, you know where to point, you need, you need to know where you are relative to the thing that you're about to look at. Mm. You need to point your eyes at that, that item and then you need to make it clear. So when we're doing reading particularly, convergence is really important because you need to be able to engage that convergence system for as long as possible. You also need to then make it clear. And both of those systems, that pointing system and the focusing system, are um, you need to be able to sustain those, those skills. So if someone's eye gets their eyes tested, they often, so this little girl had had her eyes tested um, with a mainstream um, sort of um, corporate optometrist and everything was fine. Um, and then through a, a, um, a recommendation, she came to see me. She could not sustain. She can't point her eyes comfortably closer than about 20 centimeters before her eyes start to um, be unable to fuse, so she gets double vision. Now, she's not reading at 20 centimetres, but she should be able to do that at 5 centimetres mm. because that's you have to have some buffer and some, some um, more fuel in the tank, basically, because when you're sitting at school and you're reading and doing close work for six hours, hours a day, you need to be able to sustain your vision like that. So she's got very poor convergence. So as a result of that, what she does is she over-focuses her, her focusing system to try and compensate. Mm. Then she's using a lot of energy to do that. So she fatigues more rapidly. So that affects her attention. So she's not very attentive in class. And she doesn't like reading. 
So that's just the simple, those are the simple cases where it's just that. But then because she has all the spelling difficulties, I started to look at a few other things. And I found that she is not able to retain sequences. So she's now nine years old and she is sequ her sequential memory is roughly a five-year-old level. So she's being asked to do, to learn to spell words and recognize those patterns and she can't do that. So um, she needs some help to teach her because these are all learned skills. So that's another important thing to remember is that vision is a learned skill. We're mm. not born knowing what an elephant looks like. We yeah. have to experience mm. it. We're not born knowing how to spell. We're not born knowing how to roll. Our vision guides us and guides those movements and guides those processes. And if we have sufficient meaningful experiences and everything's in place the way it should be, then we're going to develop um, all the skills we need. But sometimes something goes mm. awry. Um, so this little girl needs a lot of help with, with a, a lot of those skills. So that's what we do in the vision therapy environment. So mm. we provide, we, we get her into the therapy room and we look at what she can do and what she should be able to do for her age. And then we develop a program and create um, vision therapy activities for her to do. Um, and the purpose of the vision therapy activities is not to teach her how to do something. It's to teach her how to use her vision and how to analyze and discriminate and visualize and mm process her information that she's looking at because as you said you look at something and you don't know what you're seeing we need to teach this person to look at something and notice what they know what they're seeing and then use it in, um, in their day-to-day -day world so often parents go oh well they've learned how to do this and it's like great because then i assess them in a different way and they haven't transferred those skills so they haven't learned they've learned how to do a task yeah they haven't learned to use their vision in that meaningful way and that's what we try and develop so that mm -hmm. they're thinking through their visual process yeah and to do that we use the body so her another thing i haven't mentioned and i know you guys have done this and uh, covered this topic in a previous podcast is she has some retain primitive reflexes mm. so her ability to um, her she's got a retained ATNR and an STNR and they have um, an effect on her ability to engage and disengage near and far yeah and they also have an uh, have an effect on her handwriting and um, in the end it's all about that left and right brain integration right that's yeah. really what it boils down to um, and so our therapy starts right back with those. So we do movements, um, gross motor movements, and then we move on to more finer movements. So teach the person to think through their body first, and then we start them to think more through their eye, their, their, using their eye processes, and then we start working more on the, the more of the cognitive stuff. But ultimately, everything we're doing is working on the brain. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I mean, it ties really well with the um, cerebellum episode that we did and the whole lamination of our pathways and also how neuroplastic we all are. Um, but you're doing it through the visual field, which is actually a really fun place to be because um, myself, I've done some mission therapy with you. And if you guys could be here now, Callan's uh, mission therapy room is very colourful. It's got 
all kinds of toys. It's got a mm-hmm. fancy carpet. It's got um, all kinds of confusing looking orbs and lights. <laughs> yeah, and prisons. And um, it's really to excite our brains to light up those pathways, which mm-hmm. for some reason we are closed down. This is um, another area that you're working in, in mm-hmm. traumatic brain injury, mm-hmm. like stroke and concussion. Or we didn't lay down in the first place. Yes. Like this little girl, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. So some children, and you see the, these children, they don't crawl. They mm. commando crawl. They don't do their cross. They don't develop that efficient cross lateral crawling. Um, a lot of children, the ocular motor system develops from a strong neck. So the babies who don't do sufficient tummy time often end up with visual problems as well because they don't develop the precursor to developing efficient eye movements and eye control. Yeah. And when you say visual problems with, you know, in regards to like say not enough tummy time, is that often presenting in cases like this little girl where yes. it's difficulty learning and it's not necessarily yeah. she can't see that. No. But it's, it's more presenting in yeah, day to day sort of things. The majority of the patients I see who are having difficulty in the classroom have no difficulty seeing clearly. Yeah. They yeah. can see clearly far and near often because the brain's very clever and the brain, the, the brain will always find an alternative way to help that body function. Mm. Vision is hidden. People, children have often been in speech therapy and OT for four or five years and they come for a checkup for the first time ever. So schools typically tend to send them straight off to the speech therapist for an OT for an assessment and completely forget about vision because the child can see the board. Mm. But that's because they're only thinking about 6% of vision. They're not thinking about the rest of vision. Mm. And so once people understand that, then it makes sense. So unfortunately, a lot of people end up on this long process. And the way I like to see it is your vision directs those movements and actions. So the OT is going to do valuable work and the speech therapist is going to do valuable work. But if your building blocks and your tools with which you have to do, if you're not gathering visual information well and the OT is trying to show you how to do something and you're not noticing what they need to do or what she's asking you or you with the speech therapist can't grab more than two digits at a time and she's trying to get you to read letters words that are six seven letters long you're not going to be able to learn quickly it's going to take a long time to get through yeah the the therapy process whereas if you have really good tools in your toolbox visually so you know how to point your eyes you know where you are relative to everything else you know your lefts and your rights you know what top and bottom is you know how to focus your eyes, how to adjust them, you know, you can judge space and you know where things are in space. Then, and you can grab visual information really well and you can process it and recall it, then the speech and OT, the work that the speeches and the OTs do, just happens so Mm -hmm. much more effectively because they've got the tools that they need before they can do those things. Yeah, so important. Yeah. Um, And I'm assuming there's a lot of I mean, in this instance, kids, you know, school age kids, you say they send them off to the speech path and the OT, who are probably getting mi- missed, you know, with a, just a general checkup of the eyes. Right? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. So it should actually happen at what age? I mean, how young can you check children out for, for vision? So I can see anyone. Um, mm-hmm. I will see a brand new baby. Mm-hmm. Um, lust to dust. 
Yeah. yeah. I love that. Okay. Because, <laughs> I mean, but I do send you people, as you know. Yeah. Yes. So, typically, I would suggest that if there are no fam, if there's no family history of any visual difficulties, um, age three, mm-hmm. age five, or just before they start school, the Optometric Association advise every two years. I think for a school-aged child, especially with the the level of close work and the amount of screen-based activities these days, mm. I suggest annually. Yeah. I think you you leap two years, you could have missed so many things in two years. Mm. Mm. If there is a family has a has a history of, of vision difficulties, so sight issues, particularly, I would see them as a toddler and well, you know a newborn even so you know we see babies who've got a strabismus a turned eye we yep. see them at they typically that happens around about the age of six months yep. mm-hmm. um so i would see a baby at six months but um, i think if you if you have a child who's not yeah. if you've got a child who has there's no perceived difficulty three five or just about to start school and then every year after that mm-hmm. It works so well with what we're doing as well. I mean, we have so many babies in the practice with um, plagio carefully, you know, so oh. that's when they, you know, their heads are getting quite flat because they can't turn to both sides. Well, we can do all our biomechanical neurological work, but sometimes their eyes aren't tracking either, mm. as you probably know, so they mm. can't use their reflexes in their neck to, you know, change yes. their head position. So they come and see Carolyn, you know, for things like that, and mm. that's really useful. Mm. Um, but... I also do know that you use all kinds of really interesting therapies and I have sent young kids to you for anxiety even, mm-hmm. you know, and people would ask, why would you see an optometrist for anxiety? And, mm. and um, I'm quite sure you can answer that pretty well. Okay. So yeah. I certainly don't, um, would never say that I'm treating anxiety. No. But of course, when I see a patient, I want to know everything about that patient, not just whether they, what, they, what issues they're having related to eyes. I want to know how they function. Mm. So do they sleep well? Do they eat properly? Do they have food cravings? Do they have, um, um, how do they handle stress? Um, how do they cope with um, various situations? So kids who with anxiety often, sometimes they've had some traumas. Um, and what we know is that any trauma or any um, heightened sense of anxiety is going to affect everything that that person does so their nervous system is not in balance and they um, they respond in a fight or flight or freeze situation often when they have anxiety Um, the visual process is controlled by the brain so we have a, a unique opportunity to get into the nervous system very easily using the visual process Um, the eye is just an extension of the brain and although when I'm treating someone I will always treat their vision um, very often what we find is that their anxiety levels will settle because we can work on the um, the balance of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system and we can help the person to regulate that more effectively and the way in which we do that is using different filters which have a different effect on the nervous system. Yeah. So they do a light therapy over a period of about three months um, and that will often we do that prior to doing vision therapy as well for other reasons because everything in the end if you're not converging and you're not focusing well 
it's because your parasympathetic system mm. isn't engaging well. So we use um, optometric phototherapy to get the, the, the nervous system to be in balance um, and then that typically will have a flow-on effect to things like anxiety. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know peeling back those layers to do the groundwork first, so that yes. everything can build on top of that. Yeah, um, which I think in general is just the most important part of any therapy. It is. Yeah, and for the ones of our audience who are really science related, you know, they will understand that um, light has different um, wavelengths and different frequencies, and mm. the brain responds to these frequencies, frequencies. and wavelengths differently. You know, yes. and hence the the different color lenses you use and yes. at what frequency. Yeah, that's right. Fantastic. I mean, light light is used all the time. People mm. have no qualms having someone use a laser on them. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's light at a particular yeah. frequency. Yeah. Um, babies, ba- jaundice babies are put under a blue light. That is all it is. They mm-hmm. don't get given medication. Mm-hmm. It's light. Um, people in the northern hemis- hemisphere suffer from seasonal effectiveness yeah. disorder due to yeah. their lack of sunlight. Um, so light is incredibly powerful, and we need light. I mean, there's a lot of we research. A lot of people probably in your audience know about. The importance of vitamin D, which mm. we get from being outside and um, and and being out in that bright full spectrum light, you mm. need that full spectrum yeah. light. Mm. Um, and so, Syntonics is helping to try and um, uses light to regulate processes, mm. visual processes, which have an effect on other things. And it must be such a soothing piece of homework. <laughs> I'd love to do some syntonics, actually. Sometimes people don't like it, and sometimes it's quite difficult with a little, little person. Mm. But um, I find, so I tell people they have to do it in a very dark space, typically. Yeah. So mm. there's two ways to do it, but typically it's done in a very dark space so that all the only light that's entering the eye is that that colour of light. Um so I always tell them to channel the inner Harry Potter. So sometimes it's a cubby under the bunk bed or under the dining room table and the parents always there with them and we make that special. We suggest, I always suggest it's special time. So get yeah. a special book that's only for that time and it, it's quite relaxing for mm. most of them. They like it. And I mean, you and I have shared patients in the past who've had um, brain injury and concussion. It's particularly good for that too. Particularly. I was yeah. literally just about to say mm-hmm. that. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of brain injury and concussion patients have a um, vision. In a brain injury, it's virtually impossible to not have any visual side effects. Mm. Um, Vision is literally represented in nearly every single part Mm. of the brain. Not sight, but vision. Vision. Yeah. And so if you have a brain injury, the chances are you're going to have some visual issues. Now, some of them are very obvious. If someone has a stroke and they have a hemiplegia or a hemiphere, so a loss of of function on one side, and it might just be in the eye and they've lost field on one side, that's quite obvious. But for a lot of other people, and particularly concussion patients, they have these odd symptoms that no one can really put a name to or can can Mm. place and there's a lot more research in terms of concussion now Um, but a lot of it relates to a imbalance in two streams in the brain the dorsal stream and the ventral stream so um, the dorsal streams are our big vision it's our peripheral vision it's our awareness of where we are in space and taking in so I'm looking at you, Lily, but I can see where Sarah's sitting and I can see the floor and the ceiling and, and the whiteboard and on the wall. Um, and that, that's, that's our, our dorsal stream and then our, our, our um, 
uh, ventral stream, which is the parvocellular, so there's the parvocellular and the magnocellular. The parvocellular is our detail vision. And you need this, this beautiful interplay of those two systems. Mm. Mm. And for some people, they become very central, very focal, very parvo-centric. Um, and as a result of that, they have a lot of trouble with mobility. They feel like the world is moving around them. Mm. They, they develop mm. something called vision motion sensitivity, yep. where it feels like the world is moving around them and they can't stop still. So a lot of people are diagnosed with vertigo, but they actually don't have vertigo. They have vision motion sensitivity. Mm. Um, they often have lots of vestibular problems, and it's all related yep. to the same thing, this motion sensitivity. And again, syntonics is a beautiful way to get that interaction of central and peripheral vision and the magnoparvo system so that they it starts to dampen things. So I have a patient who, she's a teacher and she drives along um, a road, you'd know it, um, Wakers Parkway. Mm. There's lots of trees mm. and sunlight. Yeah. And as she's driving and this light's yeah. flickering in and out through the, mm. the trees, she's completely distressed and would have to pull over every day driving home from work wow so she did about um 40 sessions of vision therapy so it took it a little while um so much better mm. um, and that's literally just doing light therapy mm. she would need some more work in terms of more vision therapy but it's, it can be very powerful it's so liberating too mm. yeah i can imagine a lot of kids who come to the practice with you know all kinds of motion sickness yeah. and so on you yeah. know probably well, motion sickness is very often vision-related as yeah. well because they're not using their peripheral. So they can't stabilise central and peripheral at the same time. Yeah. They get motion sick. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess with us, we're looking through that um, whole, as I say, cerebellar circuit, circuitry again, the utricle and saccule mm. area, you know, but um, doing the vision therapy really seems to seal it all mm. yeah. too, doesn't it? Which um, reminds me then that for the more elderly um, patient, you know, um, as their brains go into some kind of um, demise... Mm vision therapy would help that too of course yeah yeah. Mm. yeah i've got probably my oldest patient at the moment is um 81 so you're never too late mm. to mm. to do some work i mean obviously with brain injury and and stroke and often those are elderly more, more elderly patients but you you're not, not necessarily going to restore sight to what it was before but you're improving the visual skills that the person still is capable of and helping them. Hmm, interesting. And yeah, also, well, I mean, even just from a, you know, if we bring sort of the balance and the vertigo that we're speaking of, you know, even if you can help, you know, clear some of that so they feel more stable through their vision right. therapy, yes. that's quality of life, right? Like, yeah. you just look at that simply as a matter of, you know, will, will they walk around the house or will they walk down to the shops versus yes. will they just sit in a chair all day? That's right. You yeah. know, that quality of life yeah. is so important. That's one of the few practices I've ever walked into where you actually um, have nutritionals, you know, and and they're paired off with um, certain visual mm. um, conditions. So mm. that's amazing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I, there wouldn't be a day that goes by that I don't see someone who has dry eye. Mm. Um, it's incredibly common. So some of the nutritionals I have, are to help with dry eye but I don't just like to give nutritionals um, I, we do a combination of, of treatments so we do some mechanical treatment as yeah. well so that they can stimulate um, the function of the ocular surface so the eyes so often people complain of blurry vision and their glasses are fine there's no prescription change that's required but what happens is they blink 
and their tear film evaporates really quickly because there's not enough oil within this on the surface of the tear film. Mm. Their eyes feel itchy, scratchy. They might even water a lot with dry eye because the eyes, the body again, the brain's really clever. It's like, oh, I'll make the eyes water more because the eyes are dry. So they often complain of watery eyes, particularly in the mornings, or sometimes pain, sharp pains. So dry eye is really common. Ultimately, it's an inflammatory condition. Mm. So um, if we can, and we can't always eliminate or deal with that as well as we'd like to, but if you can help the person to improve their tear film function by um, providing the appropriate um, nutritional support and appropriate um, exercises to stimulate the, the, the um, tear film, then often they're going to be a lot more comfortable as well. Mm. Mm. Pretty amazing. It is, isn't it? I like it also your uh, multimodal approach because, um, I mean, I have come to see you as a patient and I know you have all the sophisticated toys to, to check out um, how thick my retinal layer is and <laughs> what's that machine called? OCT? OCT. Yeah. So I know you've got all the sort of those amazing, you know, pathological toys and all that sort of stuff, but I also like the functional approach that you take, you know, which is to me quite multimodal because um, we were just shown in the new toy you've got. Um, called brain tap, which mm -hmm. uses um, um, hearing as well, sound as well as vision. Yeah. Well, so it makes sense to me, right? Yeah. Because the body works as a whole. You know, we're mm. never using one sense in, a, in isolation. Right. So, this this therapy and this way of doing things is definitely the way forward. You know, I think mm. gone are the times where mm. we could just do one thing and it would fix everything. It just yes, doesn't happen that way because the body doesn't function like that. No, that's right. Um, so I think you know, as you said, sort of at the start, not many people know what a behavioural optometrist is. Um, so it's exciting, I think, to see more of that coming in to be able to educate people around that because it just makes total sense. Because mm. you say sight is only six percent, you know, and what yeah. do all the um, people do every year get their two free pairs of glasses? Yeah, you know, exactly. And get their eyes checked, okay? And, you know, yeah, and the exactly percent right. of their brain hasn't been addressed. Yeah. And but people don't <sighs> necessarily, which you know, is not their fault either. Make the link between something mm. like anxiety or with their kids learning difficulties no, yeah. at school with vision and sight. You yeah, know, yeah. people don't we don't have that education. I think it's you know we're not aware of it mm. and that's another thing that um, is probably worth mentioning so in, in my philosophy about vision you've heard me talk about you need to know where you are so that relates to gravity and mm. anti-gravity you need to know where to point your eyes and you need to focus there's another aspect to vision which ties in with all of those and that's the our ability our speech and language ability mm. because if you are not gathering well and you don't know what you're looking at and you can't interpret what you're looking at you can't possibly explain or mm. write about what you're looking at so a lot of kids will be able to recount um, things quite well but when it comes to writing it down um, they can't visualize sufficiently some of them can't visualize sufficiently, so they can't write stories. So you ask them, what, what, what don't you like about school? Oh, I don't like writing. What don't you like about writing? Well, I can't think of what to write because they can't make pictures in their head. So speech and language is intimately linked to all these other things because you need to be able to describe it mm. and visualize it to be able to recount it. So the kids who can make up the stories and they can tell you a verbal um, story but they can't write it down they're having a problem with their eye hand 
um, that connection from brain, eye to hand. And so they, they need a different, it's a different aspect to why they don't like writing. So it's just, and it's for me, my job is to work out where is it that they're having difficulty and wh which way do we need to apply the therapy. But ultimately the therapy is a, it's proprioception, it's speech, it's language, it's timing. Timing's massively important, rhythm and timing. It's, it's all of those things. Hmm. Fascinating. Mm, it is, isn't it? I mean, we could go on forever. <laughs> and I mean, we're not going to sort of give anyone a hard time about devices, are we, Carolyn? Not tonight. Not tonight. <laughs> but everyone knows it, right? Mm. Every parent comes to me and they say, well, now what's the story? So the World Health Organization has some, you could go onto their website and they've got recommendations. ACBO, the Australasian College of Behavioral Optometrists, has guidelines for parents yeah. on screens. Um, we know that it's we don't learn through screens. Mm. One of my biggest bugbear, I have to say this, one of my biggest bugbear with screens is some of the baby brain Oops. development mm. apps. Yeah. Big no-no. Yeah. You have to learn you learn by touching, feeling, moving. Yeah. Not by looking only. Even though sight is our preferred sense, you learn to use your visual process by moving touching, feeling, all of those things. Kids don't, a lot of children don't visualise because they never have to create images in their head because it's all just fed Give to them in a screen. Yeah. And do you find, I mean, like obviously, yes, this is, a, you know, as, as we're learning and developing our, our nervous system and our brains as babies, but obviously technology and devices have become so much more prevalent in our worlds as adults as well. Yes, and absolutely. Yeah, it's a big thing as well. Yes, very yeah. much so. Yeah. Um, so the more time, so humans are evolved to be hunters. Yeah. So we are supposed to be out in big wide open spaces in a 3D world. Yeah. Big mm. moving objects. So most of us, I talk to my patients all the time about the way we hunt for dinner these days is we sit in front of a screen yeah. that's a few centimetres across, of 20, 30 centimetres across, 60 centimetres away from us very small in detail we're working in a two-dimensional fixed close static yeah doesn't move that's not what our visual process has evolved to do or to mm. work at, work with so as a result of that we develop all sorts of other visual problems so yeah. a lot of people with eye strain myopia is not only due to that but it has a, there is definitely a role to play with 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 um, the development of myopia and the use of close devices mm. close their books would be the same yeah if you spent six hours staring with eight ten hours staring at a, at a book it would yeah. be the same thing we're all on the same page there all on the same page yeah, oh, we, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean the homunculus we could actually try to make a magazine word and everyone just can't <laughs> spell it but up homunculus guys and that's the whole thing you know we want to use our whole brain don't we whole brain mm. Mm. very cool yeah it is isn't it and again, it makes sense, right? Like, why haven't, why hasn't this been done before? Why isn't there more of this around? And why aren't we, you know, why don't people know more about it? It is, yeah. We're, we're a small, we're a relatively small um, group in Australia. And that's, yeah, we spend a lot of our time educating mm. patients. Yeah. So it's a, it's a paradigm shift often when they come to us. Yes. Because it's not about the 6%. Yes. 
No. And also, it's not a popularity contest, you know, because um, you are going to be unpopular as we are when we say yeah. to parents, oh, um, yes, all the get time. off the iPad, get off the TV, mm. and mm. suddenly the kids don't want to come back and see us. Surprise, surprise. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's not a popularity um, sort of thing to do, but I guess we, the reason why we're doing it is because we want them to have a better expression of health one day. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm. So, so, thank you. You're welcome. Amazing. Do you feel we've um, covered what we want to cover? Well, I hope so, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think we've covered, covered it. Covered yeah. yes. I know there's a whole... There's plenty more. There's, there's, yes, so and, much. you know, next next time we, we speak to you, I think we'll um, dive down a, a particular pathway, which I know you know a lot about. So we won't talk about it right now. Okay. But there are many, many different pathways. I suppose this particular sure. one is interesting to me. And you do have three amazing little things to leave us with. Okay, so my little three, my three little things. I really would like to think that after listening to this podcast, people will understand that vision is not in the eye. Vision is in the brain, and the brain is in charge. The person is in charge of their brain to a large extent. It's not always just the brain does things for us. We're actually controlling our brain. So we can change our vision by training our brain the next thing is that vision is much more than sight um, and hopefully I've got that across sufficiently <laughs> tonight or today and then the last thing is that vision can be improved and it can be remediated by more than just glasses with the active participation of the patient so vision therapy is one aspect there are lots of other components to a pair of glasses that we can use prisms lens, filters a variety of tools so um, there is a lot more to um, the the development of your vision and ultimately what I want is I want you to know that you can change your eyes to work more efficiently and more um, with more stamina within the constraints of the health of the eye mm. of course amazing Mm. Very cool. Um, well, Carolyn, for, we have a lot of local listeners as well, um, and a lot of listeners that I'm sure are now have listened to that and gone, well, how do I find Carolyn, or where do I find someone who can help me with this stuff? So where can our audience find you, or how can they get in contact? Well, they can probably look me up on my website. That's probably the easiest way. Optim Eyes Optometrist, so O-P-T-I-M-E-Y-E-S, Optometrist. I'm in D-Y. Um, and I'm sure if they look me up on, online, yeah. that's probably the easiest way yeah. to find me. Perfect. We'll pop your website into our show notes as well, so then people Fabulous. can just jump straight on there Fabulous. And, and find you. But um, yeah, thank you so much. I, I know I've learned lots, um, and um, yeah, definitely going to be able to take that into my world and share it with my people so we can uh, help more people. Well, Lily and I have been referring to each other for a very long time mm-hmm. um, because, as I said, it takes a village, and if you guys can prime that nervous system to be more receptive to what I need to do that's the, that's just wonderful so yeah and vice thank you for the opportunity you're welcome I'm sure as Lily said there's going to be many more episodes to come on different topics so we look forward to that but thank you Quick disclaimer, these episodes are not intended to replace help, treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals. The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.